Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here with Andy and Steve today, and we're going to hop right into this topic. So thank you so much for joining us for a new episode today. Hello. It's good to be here. <laughs> Troy, I heard uh, some big news, man. I I hear you are full on adulting. Oh, man. And bought yourself your first your first car? Yeah, first car. Now, now you said, what does that mean, bought your first car? So like, clearly you have a car. Bought our first car from a dealership off the lot and like we're talking brand new it wasn't brand new brand new it's a it was a used it's a 2014 uh kia sonata or sorrento uh, one of the s's anyways kia i like you already (laughs) and easy easy steve you're right right it was absolutely terrifying (laughs) why was it terrifying well i mean for anyone who's gone and bought a vehicle from a dealership, you know that to a certain degree, you got to play the game with them. I'm not the kind of person who likes to play the game. And I like to think I'm very perceptive right away. So when I can tell that there is a game afoot, I am like, ah, there's way too much money to be uh, going around the circle. So I just start asking very blatant questions like this is what the ad said. Is this actually going to happen? Oh, uh, no. Okay. Now we can continue. <laughs> Good for you, man. The game is afoot. Because <laughs> right. I remember the first time, the first time we, was probably almost a year ago. We were looking for a new vehicle and I went into this place and I was just like stressed out. I was like, because <sighs> mm. I went into this, this dealership and it was, they're having some sale. It was just chaos. Like I walked in and I just felt like fresh meat thrown into like a pit of lions. And they were all like, wait, what do we got a deal for you? What can I get you? What do I want to put you in? I was like, don't put me in nothing. I don't want nothing. I just want to look. I just want to look. I just want to look and see what you got. What are you interested in? We got SUVs. We got cars. I'm like, yes, I realize you have all kinds of options. I just want to look at one car. All right, I'll bring you seven. No. Okay, you're already gone. You're already getting me seven. No, I don't want water. No, I don't want the bad coffee. I'll take the bad coffee. I don't, it was just, so it was one of, it was a very adulting moment for us. Isn't it interesting that there are some things that you purchase, whether it be like a couch, a car, uh, there, there, you know, there's that, that list of items where you just, you get assaulted as soon as you just, as soon as you walk in uh, appliances as well, appliances. We, uh, we bought some new appliances this year and, uh, mm. we actually, you can find some good places though, where, you know, where they're not too, uh, commission based. So they're, <laughs> they're at least got some humanity remaining. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. I, I'm one of those people though, that, I have to constantly talk myself out of wanting to buy a, a car. So like I have a I have a car, but I'm in like a love-hate relationship with my car. <laughs> I don't know if you can relate oh, to that. First yes. of all, my car has a drinking problem. Oh. <laughs> so we we've talked about Thoughts that. Thoughts and prayers. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of prayers. My car knows that I have lusted over an electric vehicle a couple times now mm-hmm. given given the, <laughs> my car's drinking problem and then and then the other thing is my car likes to break down right and then you, you're constantly in this battle of do i fix you or sell you or junk you and yeah. Uh, so yeah that's exactly yeah. where that, we that, were at it was like okay so you had gotten off that <laughs> I won't fix you like, I love it. It's one of those cars where all my like everyone we know is like, man, your car looks so nice. Then you get in it and you listen to it, and it's like, oh, <laughs> you, your car needs counseling. Like it needs serious yeah. help. 
Yeah. yeah, we're gonna lay hands on the dash oh, today, man. and we're gonna pray. Yeah, yeah. My car is uh, sold. I've been driving it for the last fourteen years, and it's finally come to the point where the odometer said I quit. It's like it hits <laughs> two ninety nine, nine hundred ninety nine, and then it won't go up anymore. So I have to leave trip A on. I'm not resetting that bad boy, right? So it's... no, uh, you you don't even get the satisfaction. of seeing it turn into three. Apparently, it's a design flaw in the kind of the year and model of that particular kind of car, and so I'm just like I'm just waiting, right? I'm and my car was at two ninety three. <laughs> oh yeah, wow. So anyway, yeah, my my car's odometer said I quit. <laughs> wow. Fun fact: three hundred thousand kilometers is just uh, is is right in the ballpark of the speed of light. In one second. Wow. So, wow. That's crazy. Know, isn't that creepy to think of how long it took you to drive 300,000 kilometers? Mm-hmm. Riding a lightning, lightning bolt, Steve, which I could see you doing. <laughs> one second. <laughs> well, we should we should jump. Speaking of lightning bolts, let's jump into things today. Uh, I, uh, I, I suggested to the boys that, listen, it's been a while since we've talked anything technology. We need to get into it. There's been some articles that have been making their way on the web and causing a stir with regards to technology and policing. There was an article that came out of New York where they had leased a a, a robo dog, if you will. I like to call it robo dog. Uh, it they called it digi dog. Nah, robo dog is so much better. Yeah, I mean, come on, like, Digidog? <laughs> it sounds like a Could you Tamagotchi. imagine some criminals all, all, you know, like, in their bunker, and they're like, man, they got the Digidog on us, man. Like, I mean... What is the Digidog? Just, no... <laughs> just doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> right. No, it just it just doesn't work. They're going to need to work on the name. Yes. Digidog does... Yeah, you know, who got you, you know? Uh, Digidog got me, man. <laughs> So apparently, the New York police, you know, they they leased these from the company Boston Dynamics. If you've never heard of that company, I'd encourage you to take a look uh, into them. Check check out their YouTube videos. It'll creep you right out. <laughs> they have been able to create some machines that can do uh, some amazing things. Uh, and you can't help but think that this is going to be like this technology is going to be a game changer at some level. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually looking, okay, are they on the stock market yet? Like what, (laughs) what is this? Yeah. For those of you curious, they are not on the stock market yet, but (laughs) it is not a publicly traded company, but I believe that one day it will be, uh, cause it's just, it's just amazing to see what they're creating. So a lot of their machines can do things like moving boxes around and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. But this, this machine that they created, uh, looks like a dog and it can do policing type things. Now, did you guys watch the video? I'm particularly curious about you, Troy. Uh, had you ever like? Did you watch any of the of the Digi Dog like walking around? It's creepy. It, it is. I've seen I've seen some, and I saw one where they uh, they tested like its response to getting kicked or something, and it was terrifying. How it would just kind of was like, 
just dodged it. Yeah, people can't really see me, but I'm doing a little. I was just gonna dodge. say <laughs> Troy, man. Like I'm watching Troy move, and I'm like, Troy, you realize this? That. Uh, but, they can't see that. But I was just like, <laughs> this is a problem. It's it's kind of amazing, but it's also terrifying because it has no like, it does it doesn't respond like a regular dog, which was probably good because a police dog would rip your leg off but <laughs> it it's just it's it's scary it was just scary mm. looking <laughs> yeah i think there's even a name for that i think um have you guys heard of the golem effect i've heard of no, golem heard yeah of yeah the, yeah so you know the golem right from the lord of the rings oh, and apparently well. there's this thing called golem effect where the reason golem is so terrifying to us is that it looks just human enough but not really. And that's apparently what really unsettles us psychologically. So something similar is happening here where, where you look at the, the robot, it, it moves like a dog, but it's it, it looks somewhat like a dog in terms of their its legs, but it's not really a dog, right? Yeah. It's interesting that you guys would bring that up because the creators of Black Mirror, now if you haven't seen that, it's a show on Netflix that's kind of like this. Very dystopian. <laughs> Yeah, technology dystopian, you know, stories. Uh, have you guys seen this? I've seen a few episodes and I had to I had to take a break. <laughs> I had to take a long walk. <laughs> I, I've never watched it because I, I met with you a friend. You haven't? No, so a friend of mine told me some stories about it. I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I have the stomach for it oh, right man. now. Because I have to be in the right mood to watch it, I think. But yeah, uh, I, you can, have to feel I can safe. appreciate that. <laughs> you have to feel safe when you watch it. <laughs> Lights on, yeah. big blanket. You, you know, have you ever had those moments, though, when you watch a scary movie or something like that, and you're creeped out by every little sound in the house, but then some days you're just too tired and you think to yourself, nah, I've had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> so the creators of Black Mirror were watch, watching these Boston Dynamic uh, video Boston Dynamics videos, particularly uh, of this Robo Dog, as I like to call it, and that it creeped them out too, and they thought this would make a great, you know, episode, and so they they actually made an episode called Metalhead that is based off of this this dog, you know, Robo Robo Dog, the Digi Dog that the uh, the police are using. Now, what what happened? Just to give you listeners context to this article, is that the the police got got this this machine. They leased this machine, but they didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell anybody that they were doing this. Uh, they didn't. They didn't. From what I understand, they, they it's not like they put any policies in place, sort of thing, or mm-hmm. informed the public. This is and um, then, this is NYPD. And then they just started using it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, NYPD. And then they just started using this this uh, dog, particularly in a hostage situation in the Bronx. Some video came out about this. It went viral, and then there was a bunch of backlash against the police uh, for using this technology, and then they ended up sending the the DigiDog back to Boston Dynamics. So that's kind of the, the, the story of what took place. The interesting thing, too, is that, uh, you know, now that you mentioned Black Mirror, you know, people started making comparisons about how, you know, like this looks just like the metalhead episode robots right when in fact it was the metalhead episode that was was based on this yeah and so then they started comparing i'm like dystopia is coming kind of a thing is and (laughs) and like you mentioned andy um 
apparently there is a, a a policy or whatever with the NYPD that they actually don't have to run any of their purchases through the city council to get approval because that would have been where they had a chance for public comment and things like that. So it mm-hmm. was in a lot of ways it was just kind of sprung on the public. And so the article's like, this is how you don't do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this is an interesting point. Because when we first wanted to talk about this issue, I didn't realize that it would go as deep as it does. But there's a lot that's that's going on in this article that, you know, and other articles are writing about it, the deeper you go, because you start to realize that the, for example, the police have a relationship with the military in the United States where the, the police in the U.S. get uh, old technology or uh, from the military and can then implement that. And so what you begin to realize is, 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 you know, a lot of these technologies with regards to, you know, machine technologies or robot technologies are actually uh, quite common in, in the police uh, and in policing, which is, which is really interesting because I didn't realize that. And, and the, and the reality is, well, they've been getting these technologies from the military for, you know, quite some time now. Mm. Now, as well, just to throw this out there, the DigiDog isn't just used by um, the NYPD. Uh, this was another one of those things, you know, the deeper you go, you start, you, you learn that Hawaii is uh, testing this, te- this technology and Massachusetts is testing this technology as well. Yeah. So RoboDog um, is actually not for hurting people, right? It's a surveillance tool. Basically, it's got a camera and microphone, those kinds of things. Um, And yet you can't help but see the sort of, it's not that far of a leap from there to go to something like in the military, right? You have drones that can actually kill people like in a very precise way. So people are worried about that. Well, and the reality is they actually use this technology to kill people already. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a number of years ago, if you remember, uh, there was a, a sniper who had killed, I believe it was five police officers. And they used a robot to um, go into this guy's house with a bomb and then detonate that bomb to to, to kill that oh, sniper. Wow. I, I hadn't heard that story before. Was that the one in uh, Texas or am I thinking of a different one? Uh, well, it was in Dallas, actually, in, uh, oh, okay. in, 2000, yeah, yeah. in 2016. I think it might be the same one I'm thinking of. Yeah, because I remember that incident. A lot of police officers went down. So then what do you do, right? Like, yeah. I mean, this seems to be far beyond just, you know, let's arrest this guy kind of a thing because he is armed and dangerous and he's resisting. Well, see, this is the point I think that, that we need to wrestle with this topic is – are are we okay with technology being used in this way? One of the things I am seeing over and over again is that there are just so little policy being thought about and, mm-hmm. and you know and, and 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 developed around how to use technology and how to use it ethically and and what is going to lead to the good of society. You know, as you said, Steve, okay, well, the technology has surveillance, you know, capabilities. You know, are we okay with that? Because I don't know if you saw this, but just in the news, Amazon has just announced that it will, for the foreseeable future, no longer lease its its facial recognition software to the police 
because one of the things they're saying is because the, the police aren't putting policies in place mm. uh, uh, on how this technology is going to be used. Yeah. Which, which, cause you know, surveillance is a bigger topic than just, you know, whether or not you put it on a robo dog. I mean, surveillance is taking place all, all around all us. the time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because uh, it depends on where you are too. Um, in preparing for our conversation today, I actually looked into uh, the use of surveillance technology in Korea, actually, and, and how they receive it very differently. Because Korea has one of the highest numbers of CCTVs in the public, uh, very close to London, England, which is wow. known for their CCTVs, right? And the way the public received it, it, it's a very different kind of a cultural temperature. So if you were to, what do you think is going to happen, right? If, if let's say New York said, okay, we're going to install like, you know, 1.5 million CCTVs around the city, there would be an absolute uproar, right? Because here in North America, especially in the United States, there is this sort of culturally inbuilt suspicion of all things government, right? That's just where the country comes from, and Canada gets influenced by that politic and that sort of thing. But in Korea, it's very different. They see it as a tool for, you know, preventing crime, protecting property, and all those kinds of things. And mm -hmm. stories are regularly featured where they use footage from CCTV to catch like serial killers and all those kinds of things. Right. So it's a very different kind of a thing. Well, and even in, in Jamaica, they just, there are no rules, like same thing looking into it, like just Jamaica has absolutely no rules or policies or guidelines in the realm of CCTV. They just kind of say, use it at your own expense however however you want to and just uh, just giving it up to the people mm -hmm. yeah this becomes one of the big questions i think particularly in north america is uh, you know having all these these the this surveillance right is that infringing on my quality of life or my my freedoms and, and those sorts of things mm -hmm. now what I find kind of in, what I find amusing though about this, particularly from my time living in Los Angeles, uh, have you guys ever heard of a, a ghetto copter or a ghetto bird? A no, ghetto I've bird. never heard of it. Like a drone? Uh, you guys have never heard of no. it? No, I, I haven't. No. Okay, everybody in Los Angeles is like, mm-hmm, <laughs> or <laughs> you know, in California in general, I guess. But at least my time in Los Angeles, no, a ghetto bird is a police helicopter. Oh, okay. They and that is by and large what they use to track criminal activity or criminals in in California. And I literally, guys, I was I was dumbfounded by how often I had a helicopter searching for somebody in my backyard. Now, I lived in an apartment, but like constant, mm -hmm. uh, like, and we're talking like movie level where the thing is, it has like a spotlight and you, and you're like, oh, there's the ghetto bird working its way through the neighborhood and it's got its spotlight. Happened all the time while I, while I was there. And I, I, I wasn't even living in a bad part of Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, in any rate, It'd be interesting to hear any listeners from from California, you know, yeah. let, let us know your your experiences with regards to this. But but my thoughts on that, I'm like, I would prefer a video camera, some video surveillance over a helicopter, yeah. 
you know, flying through my backyard. But maybe the issue there is like, uh, you know, a camera can be is easier to get access or manipulated or, you know, like if you're trying to do surveillance and someone really doesn't want to be seen, you could take out a CCTV much easier than you're going to take out a helicopter. So maybe that's their argument. I don't know. Well, doesn't this raise uh, a question about escalation? Like, you know, Steve, you're saying, well, in Korea, they've got a lot of these CTVs. Right. But in some ways, would this not just mean that criminal activity is going to be done inside rather than outside? Like, does like a big question in my, on my mind is, does the technology actually help reduce the crime yeah. or does it lead to this escalation where you know the police come with this new technology criminals come with this next technology mm-hmm. and it, and it goes back and forth because one of the big things uh, that i don't know if you guys saw but that was coming out in a lot of articles is are we seeing uh the militarization of the of policing in north america mm. right yeah um in korea it's Interesting. I'll come to your question in just a moment. Uh, Historically speaking, um, the Korean police, where they come from is during the um, imperial Japanese colonial rule. And the police had a very specific link to Imperial Japan. And so after the liberation in 1945, after World War II, Um, The police that you had in South Korea, they all had connections to Imperial Japan. And because Mm. of that, that, that's why in Korea today, uh, the police, compared to what what you get in North America, they have very little power. So they they don't carry weapons, right? Um, They they are not allowed to – because they did that at one point and the police shot somebody and then there was an absolute uproar and the police were not allowed to carry guns anymore. Those guys. Right. So it's a it's an interesting thing. They have this generally uh, kind of a, a slightly more negative view towards the police in that way, but they're fine with CCTVs. In fact, people feel unsafe in places where there are no CCTVs. Now, mm. with respect to escalation with criminals, that differs because apparently there was a um, I would have to verify this, but so don't quote me on it. But I thought I heard something about. uh, Okay, hold on a second. I'm just getting my pen out. Okay, (laughs) we are recording, so I will keep this. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're recording. We're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, I I heard about a study that came out of Harvard that said, uh, you know, crime rates go down anywhere from seven percent to fifty-one percent. Now, again, I would have to verify this, but but then there are others that say no, it doesn't really help with that because, you know, what it does, it's kind of like what Aristotle said, right? He's like. Good men don't need laws. Bad men will find their ways around it kind of thing. So if you have that kind of technology, what tends to happen is criminals just find different ways of committing their crimes. But it's interesting, right? Because in Korea or in the UK, you don't see the the sorts of criminal activity that you do see in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, now, don't get me wrong. The criminal activity is still there. Mm-hmm. But but you're not seeing it to the same level that you'll see necessarily in North America, given the fact that the police there, both in, in Korea and by and large in the UK, are not carrying uh, weapons. Yeah. I should say firearms. They have weapons, but they don't have firearms. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, like, without commenting on the goodness or the evil of the Second Amendment, um, in Korea, if a 
kind of a massacre happens, it happens without guns too, right? But, you know, it mm. just takes on a different right. form. They right. use knives or whatever. Right. And we're seeing that more and more, whether it's the UK, knives are quite quite common, or if it's in China, mm-hmm. uh, they've had mass slashings, for example, yeah. uh, those sorts of things. Well, I, just, I think yeah. about too, like, you know, in the realm of CCTV, is it helping? Is it making matters worse? Like, for whatever reason, right now in the lower mainland, there's just been a ridiculous amount of shootings recently. There's been the shooting at the airport. Now, let's just pause there for a second. What what uh, Troy's talking about here is in in British Columbia, at our airport in Vancouver, the whole airport and surrounding town got shut down because, some, from what I understand, Troy, some gangsters yep. shot another person at the airport, like a drive-by shooting, if you will, at the airport. Yeah. And that's pretty brazen. It's it's been crazy because then the week before I was in Willowbrook Mall, which is a mall in Langley, BC here. I was in the mall with a youth that I was working with and while a shooting took place. Oh, were you there when I that was, happened? I was in the mall. At the mall they had CCTV and the news came out right away. They were able to find the person. Um, they saw the getaway vehicle and they were able to go track it down right away. And they had news by the next by the evening. But when it happened in Delta, it was a residential area. They didn't have any of that. And so it just was able to escalate and keep going. And so you ask yourself, like, okay, it feels invasive. But at the same time, that shooting happened in a in a we're talking like a really quiet neighborhood now here's an interesting point on this it, you know people might be against surveillance right the cctv however you know it, isn't that something very similar taking place with all the youtube videos that get posted mm. from basically the person is the cctv yep. right i mean because more and more that's that's your first response isn't even call 911 when you see something happening is to pull out your phone and start recording it yep mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with CCTVs, I mean, the thing that unsettles a lot of people is the fact that it's that constant round the clock recording mm-hmm. of what's happening. Right. And so it's not even like, you know, your cell phones, like when some after the fact that something happened, you know, somebody pulls it out typically. Right. Uh, unless if you luck out. Yeah. Somebody might have been recording something and then it gets kind of recorded before the incident happens. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I would love to hear your reaction on this because I've heard this tension between freedom and safety. This is like Thomas Hobbes stuff. Um, so what what they said was, um, you can't have both. You can't have f- uh, freedom and safety at the same time. Like one will come at the cost of the other. And society over time will tend more and more towards safety at the cost of their freedom. Mm. What do you think of that? Well, first of all, I think it's interesting with regards to Hobbes, because you know what he, he titled his book, right? Leviathan. Right, the Leviathan. And ultimately, you know, he argues, he ultimately argues for totalitarianism, mm. where the the government has... And, you know, and we, with regards, even with policing, has this sort of authority or ability, you know, to try to keep the peace, if you will. But the, the problem is, that I would argue, with, particularly with Hobbes, he doesn't take into account, well, what's the government going to do with all that authority, mm, right? right? You know, because surely totalitarianism is going to be great for everyone. But, yeah, but that, that, that's, <laughs> uh, I totally agree with freedom and safety. 
They, d- they don't go together. Mm-hmm. However, I, what I find interesting is that we so desperately as a culture desire for them to be together. We, we very much have a Christian, and it's interesting as I read different people on this, because a lot of people would say, you know, the kind of the Greek view of the world is very different from what we've inherited from the Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Judeo-Christian worldview very much advocating for that freedom and safety, that paradise, that utopia, that that heaven on earth kind of mentality that's constantly being strived for, but but is constantly out of reach. Yeah. We just can't seem to get it. And it leads into, again, back into this escalation, right? Where it's like, you keep pushing for this thing, and the harder you push for it, the more you push it away. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this before with regards to a moral inversion, where you know, your good intentions can quite quickly become bad intentions when the ends justify the means. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about this, right, on Sunday last week with our literary expedition where we were examining critical race theory and things like that. And remember the whole um, end goal of a critical theory, including critical race theory, is social justice, where you, you you tear down current power structures, they favor the oppressors, right? And you liberate the oppressed, and the oppressed, uh, in some ways, can use whatever means are necessary to eliminate that uh, power structure. But then this is where I think the gospel really shines, because the gospel says that God deals with sin, right, um, through the cross, right, regenerates the heart through the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth. Because if all you have is tearing down of the current power structures and the sin remains in our individual hearts, guess what? We're just going to create new power structures. And when the oppressed overthrow the oppressors, we've seen this through many revolutions, right? The oppressed become the new oppressors and they're oftentimes worse than what they had before. Mm-hmm. And so and I think that's where the gospel is is brilliant. It deals it has a very different diagnosis of the human condition. I th- I think it's very realistic. The fundamental problem is sin and God deals with it and that's how God establishes true social justice. It's like humanity we constantly have this desire to be left to our own devices or govern ourselves for so long. And also if Mm -hmm. we're going to be governed, we get to choose who governs us and how they govern us. And naturally, obviously there's that democracy, I believe is a good thing, I do. But there is this line of authority that unfortunately as civilians, we we just cannot cross because it is extremely just self-serving. But when you're looking at the broad scope of everyone that will be impacted by something like this, it's like, you're you're absolutely right. It's like, man, that we are not the ones who can absolutely balance this out in such a way that's going to, you know, benefit everybody. We there's no way of us knowing. That's such that's such an important point, Troy. That I want to ask and raise for you guys because honest, if I just be honest, this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Is as a Christian, what what is a realistic view of the world? that we find ourselves in. Mm. You know, what what kind of a world should we be seeking? Because I'm I'm reminded of Jesus's prayer. 
right, where he he prays in uh, Matthew chapter 6. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so even there, you're just like, what kind of a prayer is that? That your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then particularly notice this last part there of the prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Guys, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, as a Christian, what, what does this look like? You know, what, what is a realistic view of, of this earth and our time on this earth, knowing that it is full of wickedness? Mm-hmm. And what does it actually look like to pray, you know, deliver us from evil? Because I think a, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, are, <clears throat> I, can't, <clears throat> I can't help but wonder if we've lost focus of heaven and we've instead focused in on earth, and we've tried to deliver earth from evil in our own power. Mm. I, I, am, I, am I making sense? Like You are. I As soon as you said that, it reminded me of John 17. Now, listeners, I would recommend that you guys go and read John 17 just for context. But it reminded me of how, again, Jesus is praying. John 17 at 9, he says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. But on behalf of those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and in them I have been glorified. I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Then you go down to 15, where he says, I am not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For from them, I sanctify myself so that they too may be sanctified by the truth. And that prayer has always like really impacted me just simply because one, he it's recognizing there is a difference. We have been set apart. We have been called to be, we have been called to be different, but I'm also not praying for you to be out of these situations. I'm praying that you have eyes to see. You know, that that's such an interesting point because lately I've been reading um, Deuteronomy Right, and um, f- for those of you who don't, you know, who are not familiar with what the what the book of Deuteronomy is about, this is just before Israel enters the promised land, and Moses, in his final days, is giving them the law one more time, right? That hence the name Deuteronomy, second law kind of thing. And if you read it, it, it all of the kind of the social justice laws, like you know, <clears throat> and institutions that that Israel had like the Jubilee and letting go of the slaves for free, like every seventh year or something like that. Actually, not even just letting them go free. It's as to give to them liberally. Don't let them go empty handed kind of thing. But what's interesting is it just assumes that you will always have the poor with you, Mm -hmm. right? But what is different, you'll always have the poor with you. You will always have different, but what's different is how are you going to deal with that now? Mm. The way you deal with it is by setting the captives free, letting go of the canceling the debts every seven years. And, and even when they 
when you let them go, like you give liberally out of what you have to make sure they have a solid start. And there is that loving care. In fact, it's funny because in, in Deuteronomy, it says it's, it's like God has a very realistic view of human beings, mm-hmm. right? Because he knows when the seventh year is approaching, somebody's going to go, right? <laughs> oh, you know, like I don't, I don't want to, you know, lend to people because my debt is going to be canceled. And God's like, no, don't do that, <laughs> right? Don't turn away the people that need to borrow from you, that sort of thing. So that that really stuck out to me. The idea that suffering you're always going to have with you, but what makes things different is how you deal with it, right? What's your reaction to that? My reaction is, man, is it complicated. Mm. (laughs) Because I just look at the COVID season that we find ourselves in, where you see homelessness at an all-time high, You see drug addiction at an all-time high. We've had so many overdose deaths in our community, right? And so it's this, it's this question like, okay, so you, you let the, you let the person free or you bless them, right? Because I feel like right now as a society that we are just kind of reeling as we try to figure out how do we help people? Mm -hmm. I think again, it just comes back to the rich young ruler. What do you want? Mm. You take away someone's background and what, how they may have got into any form of abuse, addiction, of whatever, um, at, at very- Idolatry. I, yeah, idolatry. It's like, I don't know how you got here, but if I'm standing on the truth of the word, very clearly you have to give that up to- See, this is a, this is a great point here, Troy. Let me just interrupt yeah. you real quick here. Because like, let's just put that in the context then. Because I think there's so many Christians, I'm going to pick on Christians here. There's so many Christians that have swapped the gospel for- not being homeless or swap the gospel for not being addicted to drugs mm. or and the list goes on but i mean what you're saying here is is jesus is identifying the idolatry in this individual is with the hoarding of wealth mm-hmm. right but i mean the idolatry that could be identified could have just as easily have been a drug addiction yeah. or whatever it is whatever is that person is substituting for God, yeah. for their relationship with God. And that ultimately brings us back to the gospel, doesn't it? That there is this brokenness in the human heart that is divorced themselves from God and that is divorcing themselves from one another. And that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. It's a broken world, a relationally broken world mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the gospel is seeking reconciliation in. Because I mean, that's where the true healing comes. But Will that happen in its fullness now? Mm. No. We have become very much cause and effect, forgetting that God is still sovereign. Like, if I do this, this should happen. You can't minimize the power of God as being something that is, well, I did all the right things. It reminds me again of this of Jesus' prayer, because it's a prayer of the reality of evil, but it's also a prayer of not giving into. Yeah that reality. As we close here, I think it is fitting just to hear the Lord's Prayer once more, uh, a prayer of, of not giving up, a prayer that continues to seek uh, God's kingdom. And, and I guess that's the tension that you and I need to, to remain in as the Lord keeps us here. Steve, if you could read for us as we close our podcast. Sure. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on this week's podcast. As always, we pray that you were challenged and encouraged and you enjoyed today's conversation. We'd like to give a special shout out to everyone who joined us this past weekend for the AC Literary Expedition as we discussed critical race theory and biblical unity. If it just so happens that you were one of the few who weren't able to make it, no problem, we got you covered. All you got to do is head over to our website at apologeticscanada.com and click the tab that says Literary Expedition. There, you'll see all the information that you need, as well as the link to the YouTube video that shows the Literary Expedition from this past weekend. Please, while you're there, make sure you like any of the videos that you watch and subscribe to the Apologetics Canada YouTube. It helps us reach as many people as possible. And as always, thank you for joining us. Love God, love people. Bye for now.